Open up your books, you bad apples. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Bad Apple Book Club. I am your host, Lucas, with my other host. I'm Cole Lang. I'm your yeah, I'm your other host. How is it going today? Hosts of all time. Yeah, it's it's going great. It's a beautiful morning here. Beautiful Um, morning. Now we are I'll never remember it specifically, even though it's one single number and you can't imagine it would be as hard as it is for me, but we are nine hours apart. It's currently one twenty two in the morning where I am. Uh, it's seven, seven hours. I'm seven, seven hours hour difference. Yep. It's kind of crazy how much how much space there can be between the two so, of us. And so do you know what else was um, ahead of its time? What's that? This novel we're going to dive into today. Oh, my God. OK, <laughs> uh, did you assuming that anyone listening to this didn't read the title? Do you want to do you want to unveil? the novel that we'll be diving into as you put it yes it's a literary classic it's known throughout the world it is crime and punishment by fyodor dostoyevsky and cole did you want to tell us a little bit about about fyodor dostoyevsky uh maybe a bit of background information or something before we dive in head first through the first couple of chapters of this book yeah of course and uh so this is going to be There's going to be spoilers. The way we're formatting this is um, we're going to do kind of like a spark note summary of the book and just kind of analyze it for you guys. So if you guys want to follow along, feel free to do so. Or if you just want a summary of it, this is a good platform to do it by. So We'll be reading through a handful of chapters each week and... They'll be in the titles of the episode. So, you know, people won't uh, or people shouldn't have any troubles you know, getting anything spoiled for them if they do end up picking up the book and reading along with us. We, we won't be, uh, you know, we'll just we'll just be talking about our, our materials that we read the previous week or whatever. So, yeah, yep. I mean, go nuts, Cole, please. All right, let's dive in. So, Fyodor Dostoevsky was born on November 11th, 1821. He grew up in, a, he grew up pretty poor, in a poor family in St. Petersburg, Russia, and was one of five children. He was, I remember reading up on this, and he and his family were basically in this one room, just shared. But even though he was poor, he was introduced to literature at a very early age and developed a love for it. He was known to be pretty delicate and extremely introverted, and if I may say real quick, just just judged off the few few chapters that you've read so far, it's kind of cool how you can look back on something written as a novel and realize that uh, it's also kind of a, a historical thing too. talking about him living in the same space with what was it? Yeah, four siblings and I assume the two parents. And, you know, when we were immediately introduced to Raskolnikov, our uh, anti-hero or protagonist or whatever you might want to call him he's living in i think they describe it as nothing more than like a cupboard yeah Uh, so go ahead yeah exactly yeah i'd definitely say raskolnikov is a hero he has no uh he has a moral compass for sure but (laughs) he was also sent to a military school where he did not fit in at all. Like 
he couldn't march. He couldn't do anything right. And like all of his fellow students were like, yeah, he just kind of stood out like a sore thumb. And it, it was a pretty hard time for him. Being being somebody that like has been through military training too, like that's the last thing you want. You don't want to stick out. And if I may ask, actually, uh, touching touching back on the military training thing. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna really show my ignorance. How hard is it to march? Ooh. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> well, everything is synchronized, think- but. Yeah, the thing is, you got to have rhythm, okay? You got to be able to step to that <laughs> Yeah, maybe beat, he was just born right? without any of it, bro. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, so Dostoevsky definitely did not have any rhythm. He was... No uh, groove. It wouldn't have you been know, much of a dancer. They, they specifically told him that he had to stick to the literature. <laughs> Actually? No, no, no. I don't oh, know. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But, yeah, sorry. You know, he just did not, you know, belong there. Not a model soldier. Yeah. Um, so soon enough, he got involved with like these really young radical writers in Russia. And as far as I can like read, he like met them maybe once or twice. <laughs> and they criticized the Russian government. So like the Russian government like gathered this whole group of radicals which Dostoevsky just got involved with. And, they, oh my God, this is so terrible. But yeah, they're hauling off to the this square to where they're going to be executed. And they're all on death row. And then this guy, like, as far as I can tell, he, one of the soldiers just rolls up with this cart and he's like, wait, a letter from the king. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> And this letter, like, uh, got him off of death row. But just imagine that, like, you are literally seconds away from death. And this guy just comes up in a wagon. He's like, wait a second. (laughs) If the guy on the wagon, like, stopped off for his regular morning cup of coffee or something like that, we we may not have this book to talk about right now. (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) the note, so the note, um was like yeah you're pardoned by the by the king king nicholas or czar czar I was, nicholas. I was gonna say yeah my my apologies um and so yeah like one of the dudes they all get released but one of the guys was in tide and just lost it like he went insane because just imagine that like the guns are already pointed at you you're you're saying your final words yeah and I know that Dostoevsky himself was like already like praying towards his family and all that. But anyways, they get released. They get like the worst sentence. They spend um, some time in Siberia. They're sentenced there for four years. But that was just like a that that was like a total power move by the king just to like flex his uh, his power. Okay, so it wasn't just. Fyodor, who they cut loose, it yes, was the whole exactly. group. Yeah, all the whole um, squad of okay, radicals. Then, yeah, and then sent off to Siberia for yeah four years. Labor. And this whole experience, just being, you know, about to be executed and sent to Siberia, obviously 
shows a lot in his writings, like Crime and Punishment, the title of this one. Obviously, this these events had huge impacts on him. Anyways, after he gets out of Siberia, he starts to write a lot. And this is where we got Crime and Punishment. Uh, he wrote about his time in Siberia as well. I can't remember the name. This is a super quick overview. So this isn't in depth. You could do a whole episode on his life, but. Well, hey, man, I'm learning plenty over here. Yeah, this is uh, just a totally quick summary. But anyways, he struggled as a writer because he was epileptic and he had lots of violent seizures. And at the same time, he is trying to support his family and himself, but he wasn't even getting paid that much. He also had gambling troubles and almost impossible deadlines. So like that was pretty famous with his writings is that he was just always just like uh, churning this, his writings out. He also had marriage struggles, his first marriage. Um, Basically the more depressed they were, the more they fought, the more they loved each other. So it was a very weird relationship but his second marriage later on in his life was more joyful and they took multiple trips throughout europe even though they could barely afford it and he died yeah (laughs) yeah but you gotta enjoy life you know live your best life uh sorry he died on january 25th 1881 and by this time his writings were very popular throughout the Russian world, and really the entire world. And they truly are timeless. Like reading this, just the psychology of it is something you expect out of literature today. And this was written over 100, well over 100 years ago. It's really nice to hear that he got some shine while he was still kicking compared to, I guess I can't even name an artist, but I feel like you hear about all of them doing uh, a lifetime's amount of work and then it's once they die that people find out how good it is and you know they don't really they don't get their their shine like i was saying so that's that's pretty yeah. cool yeah he he got to witness um a little bit of his fame but he definitely had struggles towards the end of his life i mean his seizures got really bad towards the end of his life as well anyways he in his writings he just really can encompass how complicated humans are and yeah like i said it still stands up for today so should we dive into this part one take it away pal all right so yeah this was written in parts like different volumes um throughout uh yeah these were released like every few months i believe so we'll be covering part one today all right. And it was published in 1866 and set in the 1860s, which was uh, right after the liberation of the serfs. So that was a really big event in Russia and lots of different social movements were kind of happening at this time as well, I believe. Honestly, that's another huge part of Russian history, but we won't be able to get into it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> could do a whole episode on that a lot to yeah. unpack um but so dostoevsky introduces our nameless character i thought that was so cool 
old no name, you know, he, he doesn't even mention who he yep. is for a very long time, but he is thriving on this really hot summer day in St. Petersburg. As we were saying earlier, he lives in a very small apartment that was described as like, just like a cupboard, I believe. I think it was only 10 paces long. Uh, he mentions later in the book and he owes like a lot of rent to his landlady. And I think it was months, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. He uh, he always had what something of a lump in his throat anytime that he knew that he might have to face her. So he was always kind of scurrying yeah. around the old apartment yeah, building. And like that's just in general. He does not like making contact with people. He has been in like this isolated state for some time and is also a hypochondriac, which I, I didn't know the definition before this book, but it's just like where you think you have a lot wrong with you. It's all just kind of in your head, I believe. Also, so yeah, he's like in this room, he's been chilling there for the whole summer, just isolated. He barely eats, but eventually he goes downstairs and like you were saying earlier, he just has this great amount of shame every time he goes past his landlady's uh, room, which is like right down the stairs. But he does go down the stairs, and I quote, he would creep <laughs> down the stairs like a cat and slip out unseen. So he's a little, little cat out in the night or out in the hot summer day right now. So and, and then we are introduced to his thoughts of a crime he wants to commit but is afraid of doing. Although the crime isn't specified, he keeps going back and forth on it. He doesn't think he's capable of it. And we just get a glimpse of this crime, which we'll find out later. And if you don't know what the crime is, that's pretty awesome because like lots of um, people know what that crime is that, that are familiar with this book. But he... He is described right. as a tall, handsome man with dark eyes and dark hair. Okay, this sounds kind of familiar. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But then he's dressed in rags, like these ripped up rags, and feels no shame because he lives in like the worst part of Moscow or uh, St. Petersburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. St. Petersburg. My apologies. But, uh, yeah, so the tall, dark, dark uh, eyes and hair, that sounds really familiar. But once you got to the the rags, uh, I, I was thinking it was kind of like me. Like I, I was picturing myself as Raskolnikov there for a minute. Oh, oh, that's what you were talking about. I was so confused. <laughs> I thought you were... Uh, I thought you were referring to the SpongeBob episode where he goes to prom, <laughs> and what is the what's the list? Long, tan, and handsome. He has like those ridiculously long <laughs> legs. <laughs> oh man, in that haircut though. Oh god. Oh man, hey, I can picture it right now. I haven't seen the episode <laughs> yeah, in ten years. I totally forgot about that. But yeah, his legs are just like <laughs> bending in ways that they shouldn't. That's Raskolnikov. You're always okay. Now, see, not to sidetrack too hard here. This will just take a second. But I feel like anytime I've talked to you in the last 10 years, you have pulled the SpongeBob reference out of thin air. So let me just say, I'm glad that I beat you to the punch on that one because it's all I could think of right there. Yeah, we got two of them already. Long I don't know if you catch handsome. the uh, or caught the 
old no name earlier like oh yes like the of course i i heard that but i could not i couldn't put a put a face to the the name or old however no you name. say that oh man <laughs> old no name Alrighty, sorry for sorry for cutting you off i believe we were at oh yeah, yeah he, he just, just hit the street he's kind of he's in a bit of a shanty yeah. town yeah he um just hit the streets and we also find out that he hasn't ate in days and he's always like in this delirious state so like if you're seeing him on the street he's just kind of like totally out of it so but at this point it kind of become well it becomes obvious that he's rehearsing for this crime that we don't know about yet he is um passed by a drunk guy on a wagon and he makes fun of the hat he's wearing and <laughs> so he's rehearsing for this crime and he's like oh i'm so fucking stupid this hat is ri- ridiculous <laughs> everyone would know who i am because this hat is so stupid so he's like yeah, I, I can't wear this freaking hat. But so we also learned that he is um, counting his steps towards the pawnbroker's place. He's going to this pawnbroker. And yeah, he knows the exact amount of steps. Um, eventually he gets there. He approaches the building. And once again, he goes up the stairs like a sneaky cat. Like he doesn't want anyone to see him with his long legs. He is observant yes. of the building. He's catching little details just to help him out with this crime. And he goes up to the stairs to the pawnbroker. So he gets there. He rings the bell. And I, I thought this was so funny how um, like these interactions go with her. But yeah, he gets to the door. And we also get a pretty, we also get a pretty nice picture of the woman painted just kind of based on the interactions the two oh, of them yeah. have together and you can tell he does not have a very oh, no, high opinion for of sure her. he um but yeah so like he gets to the door and they're both just like leaning up against the door he knocks on it and he's like listening but he can also tell that the lady on the other end is like super suspicious and also leaning up against the door but she opens up the door slowly and peeks her head out and she's like oh it's just one uh long-legged boy out here so she opens the door fully and man some of the ways Dostoyevsky like describes the characters in this is so funny so he describes her as like an old woman with a long neck which looks like a hen's leg which I think is just so funny (laughs) Really painting yeah, a picture with words. Had a couple uh, feathers ruffled in her hair too. Who knows? But yeah, he, he's like, "Hey, I'm Raskolnikov. I was a student who visited a month before. But even though you probably get fifty customers a day, he observes the room once he steps in, and like the lady is super cautious. Uh, and he notices that the room is like full of old furniture." but it's very clean due to the pawnbroker's sister. The pawnbroker is like super rude because Raskolnikov is very poor and owes this lady a lot of money. But Raskolnikov is like trying to be as normal as he can, which is very hard for him. So he's like 
God damn it, just be polite, <laughs> you know? Like he's trying to put on this mask. Um and so he pawns a watch for a very little sum, but it comes into play later. Oh oh yeah. So like he pawns this watch and he gets very little money for it, but it doesn't really matter because his plan it's part of his big plan for later. And so the woman as she or the pawnbroker, as she goes into another room and she starts to get her money. She he also takes note of like where the strong box is that holds her money, where her keys are. And he's about to leave when he asks a super normal question. He's like, Are you always home alone? Is your sister ever here? Yeah, it's just a super weird question because like this whole time he's just like silent. Not a very good icebreaker. Oh, not at all. No. But yeah, he kind of uh, blew his normal cover at this point. And she responds, <laughs> uh, what the hell? That is none of your business. And as the book just like ends the conversation there, he exits the room. So it's just like a super awkward um, discussion. But he does. he exits the room. He starts to struggle with the plan again like mentally he's like oh i can't believe i'm doing this and then he's like i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go to a tavern and have a beer for the first time in my life so he thinks to himself uh this is a quote from the book just a glass of beer and in one moment the brain is stronger the mind is clearer and the will is firm i've been there a time or two sometimes Sometimes a nice big Bud Light is just what the yep. doctor ordered, you know? And anytime I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, anytime I have to go to work or like uh, maybe I, I <laughs> you know, I, I'm just like pounding those down just, just so I can uh, get a better, a clearer mindset. But yeah, I just thought that was super funny because he is 23, I believe. This is like his first beer. I can't really put words to it, but there was something about this part that I liked so much. It's just really funny because he's obviously like manic. I'm sure that people have, you know, looked into this book a lot over the last however many years that it's been out and they've been able to figure out maybe what this guy's specific deal would be if it's, I don't know. I, I won't even begin to pretend like I know any of the specific symptoms for what may have... um uh, been afflicting him but uh there's just something really funny he has the beer and all of a sudden he's like wow i was completely crazy and now i feel like <laughs> yeah. a million bucks like he was down in the slopes uh before this but uh yeah he has this beer and he's just he's feeling good he's feeling good about himself so he enters yep. the tavern he sits down with a drunk man by the name of marmaladov who looks like a retired government official he asks Raskolnikov out of nowhere. He's just like, hey, have you ever slept on a hay barge for a night? And Raskolnikov is like, what the fuck? No. <laughs> and then uh, he goes on to say, he's like, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been doing this for the past five nights. And everyone at the bar like knows this guy. They just start to make fun of him and... They're all like, oh, God, here we go again. Like, he's going to tell his life story to this random dude who's, like, almost a madman that's delirious. 
they they probably know all the beats to the story and they've heard it a hundred times because this guy tells anyone that makes eye contact with him yeah so like the whole tavern is just like does not want to go through this again but anyways his life story the first thing he talks about is he feels so bad for himself because his wife was beaten by a man and he could do nothing about it because they owed this man money. And he was so drunk that when his wife was being beat, he was just like on the ground and like, oh, you can't do that. Um, but his wife, she, she was married to a governor before him and had three children from the previous marriage. And then she married Marmaladov, the drunk man at the tavern, out of desperation. It's a lot of misery once he goes back home because he's drinking away their money. And every time he goes back home, his wife grabs him by the hair. He falls to his knees and just like drags him around and like scolds at him. And when he says this part, the whole bar is like, oh, shit, that's so funny. <laughs> like, this is the fucking punchline uh, of his story, even though he didn't intend for it. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but as I was saying earlier, he uh, used to have a government job, but couldn't hold it just because, like, he's so drunk, like, all the time. And we also learned that his daughter, his own daughter, has become a prostitute to support the family financially. So yeah, he's uh, definitely a little bit of a mess, isn't he? He's a troubled man. And the other thing that's kind of funny is they've known each other for however long it's taken Mormeladov to tell the story, but he doesn't realize that he's talking to like a complete crazy person too on top of everything. I don't know, there's something kind of funny because... I don't know uh, what Russ Kalnikov's opinions are on this certain interaction, but I don't know. He probably doesn't yeah, care very much. Yeah, he's just kind much. of listening. And I believe the whole argument or the whole discussion, Raskolnikov doesn't even really talk that much. I don't even know if he says a word, really. I've met a person at the bar like that, too. You know, you just you, you pick the one open stool and then you got someone sitting to the right of you that's completely comfortable doing all the talking. I've been that person, too, actually, yeah. now that I think about it. Yeah, we've probably had all had like a similar situation like this kind of where like, yeah, they just spill the life, their life on you and you don't expect. I've never had anything, any like anything like um this major dropped on me like Mama Ladov has. I don't know what I'd do. Like Raskolnikov has. Or ju- just the story that Mama Ladov has. Like, I've never had an interaction like that at the bar. Like, it never gets that uh, dark. At least everyone else is having a good everyone time. Everyone else is just like an audience at like, uh, <laughs> this is like uh, going to a comedy club right now for them. Like, it's just so f- funny laughing at their misery. Yep which is so messed up. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but after telling a story, uh, they decide to go back to the drunk's apartment, Marmeladov. When they enter the apartment, the mother is just pacing back and forth in this, another just small cupboard of a room. And the children are just like really scared of her. So like they enter, Raskolnikov is like behind Marmeladov. And 
Marmeladov just falls to his knees and Raskolnikov is just like awkwardly behind yeah. him. And she approaches him, uh, Marmeladov, the junk guy, and she's just like, where's my fucking money? And like starts patting him down. And then she says, uh, she calls him a monster, a criminal, all these bad insults. And then she grabs him by the hair and he starts crawling across the room. He's like, this is so comforting. This doesn't hurt me. Um, and then as if this couldn't get any worse it's like the same situation at the tavern the whole flat like the whole apartment just like has to get their entertainment because there's no fucking tv at the time so they peek in the apartment (laughs) and uh, they just start laughing at the family at this scene of like this man being dragged across the floor by his hair (laughs) and then the landlady comes in and she's like you guys need to evict tomorrow and then like raskolnikov is like oh my god this is a fucking mess and uh he's like i've had enough of this shit and leaves the family just like a small amount of money before leaving because he feels kind of bad for him but then he exits the place and he's like why the fuck did i do that like he's just, he, he'll do like these good deeds and then he just gets so angry at himself for doing it once again sort of relatable you know you you do something out of the bottom of your heart and then immediately afterwards you're like i wish i didn't do that but i'm not going to go back in there and grab the grab the rubles off the off the cupboard or i think yeah, that, that would be the yeah, money the currency is rubles i don't know if i'm saying that right rubles or rubles i'm not sure i think it's rubles yeah got to be but yeah like it'd be so weird for him to go back during that scene and just be like yeah i'm gonna take this money but at the same time it's just like him he, he'll he do good deeds but he yeah he always regrets them he he goes back to his room and he awakens the next morning but he's awakened by his uh his maid natasia and he's not in a good mood whenever she's in the room like He's always very angry, but it's so funny how she handles the, uh, Raskolnikov. So she, the the maid, also informs him that the landlady wants to complain to the or to the police about him not paying rent. She continues to bother him, and like the subject of rent, like already makes Raskolnikov like very angry. But and then like she goes on to pester him and be like. Uh, Because Raskolnikov, he's a smart dude. He was a law student there for a while. And she's just like, why are you lying around? And this was his, uh, or her quote. She says, if you're so clever, why do you lie here like a sack and do nothing? (laughs) So, like, she's just really trying to piss him off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, no, she's a straight shooter. She's really digging in deep into uh, Raskolnikov. So we can see a little bit of him. Uh, but he responds by saying, oh, I'm, I'm just thinking like he's always just like thinking about something lying up in this room for months. But yeah, he, like I said, he used to be a teacher and she asked why he hasn't been teaching. And he responds, well, one can't go give lessons without any boots. And I quote, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> yeah. So he's just sure. sick of not having boots. Uh who knows what happened to his boots? And enough is enough. He also says that there's not that much money in teaching and he wants a quick fortune. 
So who knows how he's going to get that? I don't know. We'll see. But before she leaves the room, she gives him a letter from his mother. So in this letter, his mother explains that his sister was trying to earn money to help support him. Her employer attempted to make inappropriate advances on his sister. His sister's name is Dunya. This ruined her reputation among the whole town. To reestablish her reputation and because like she's trying to support her brother, her mother, so she needs money. So she accepts a proposal from a wealthy man named Peter. She says that she is going to visit Raskolnikov along with his sister and her fiancé, this man named Peter. She even says that Raskolnikov could work for the man because obviously he's not working right now. He's just been lying up in his room. So he, uh, his mother writes that she, she thinks that something is wrong. And she says, and I quote, Do you still say your prayers and believe in the mercy of our creator and our redeemer? He finishes the letter crying, but his face turns into an evil smile. And he decides that he needs some fresh air and goes for a walk. As he is walking, he is like, just like talking to himself and like everyone that passes him just like think he's drunk. Always with the, always with the strutting around and just not a, not a care in the world, technically just rambling to himself. And as we'll see, as we continue in the story, he'll, uh, just walk for hours and not even realize he's doing it until he gets to where he thinks he might be going or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and like, it's weird how he does it. Like, obviously he's delirious, but yeah, at random points, he'll just be like, oh, time for a walk. And it doesn't matter what his condition is. He could be in yep. the worst condition, but he'll start walking around. But yeah, so like this letter, um, he believes that his sister is selling herself to this man as if she was like um that drunk man's uh daughter he he basically thinks it's like prostitution to the point where he sh she should not be getting married to this man just so he can uh be financially stable and he does not like this guy at all he thinks he's taking advantage of her uh, and he makes it very clear he's not a fan of this guy and he does not want to meet him at all, Peter. So yeah, he's just like wandering across the street again and he comes across a drunk, almost unconscious, unconscious girl on the street. And not too far away, Dostoevsky describes a fat dandy waiting for Raskolnikov to leave so he can take advantage of her just traipsing behind her but obviously obviously on her tail so raskolnikov gets very angry at this man and he's like he starts running up to this guy and raskolnikov is like a really skinny man and this guy's like twice his size and he just goes up to him about to fight him but before he can strike the a police officer like comes and grabs raskolnikov and Raskolnikov is like, wait a second, this man is like stalking this girl. And it's super creepy, which it is like the way that Dostoevsky writes it. He's a very creepy dude. Anyways, the fat man that's like stalking her is just like, 
trying to be nonchalant and just like lights up a cigarette and he's like, oh yeah, what's well, that's so weird. Whatever's going on over there. And, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> Raskolnikov is the police officer like money so that he can get a cab for her. And the, op- the officer observes the girl once more and he's like, oh man, it's such a pity that she's only like 16 and this drunk. And oh yeah, and Raskolnikov is like, we need to get her away from this man as soon as possible. And like this angry brute is just like, he almost explodes like, what the fuck are you saying? And then uh, he's like, ooh, that probably wouldn't look good in front of the police officer. So he holds himself back. And the girl suddenly just like walks away and the brute follows her and the police officer like screams at him. But then, like, Raskolnikov, just like earlier, like, instantly regrets, like, trying to pay for a cab for this girl. And, yeah, he's just like, ah, whatever. That old man, that old big man can do whatever he wants with her, which is, yeah, this whole scene was just really creepy. A real change in in mood from him. And also, uh, going back to earlier, he... He's poor himself. He doesn't even pay for the room he sleeps in. But yeah, anytime he's just got a, a little scrap of money, he's always fettering yeah. it away. I guess it probably isn't technically fettering it away if you're helping someone that needs more help than you do. But I guess beauty's in the <laughs> yeah, eye of the he beholder. He definitely needs a friend. lot of help himself. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, he can be down yeah, to does. like his last ruble, and yeah, he'll give it away for like these small acts of charity. And then he's like, Oh, what the fuck? Like, why did I do that? So yeah, that goes on and like the people disappear from the scene. And then he's just like out on the streets again. And he's like, wait a second. Why am I out here? Um, and he's like, Oh yeah, I was going to go see my friend Resumian or is that how you say it? Okay. Now see, this is actually something I wish I'd thought of before we got this far into the recording because I was always reading it as Razu Mihin, but I'm I'm almost positive any way we pronounce it will not be correct. But uh, the oh, way yeah. you just said it there sounded pretty good. That sounded pretty good. Razumian. Uh, he's thinking about seeing his old college friend. Yep, he's thinking about seeing him uh, while he's just like in the middle of the street. And he's like... I better do it after this big crime that I'm going to be doing. I don't want to mess up my uh, my preparation, basically. So he decides that he's hungry after God who knows how long he hasn't ate. But he goes to a tavern again to have a drink of vodka and some kind of pie. And then he becomes very tired after this glass of vodka and he exits the tavern and just crashes on this patch of grass. So like good vodka. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, really good. One thing but I, I would imagine like not eating for a while would anything could really mess him up. They they state it um pretty obviously but i can't help but think anytime he walks into a building because i'm pretty sure it mentioned something about how hot the summer is i can't help but think of all the big sweaty people drinking inside this like closed door room and uh i don't know i just i I just i can't even i can't even begin to imagine 
I just, I always think of him going into these rooms or his cupboard apartment and how, how hot everything must be since it's the middle of the St. Petersburg summer. And there's nothing hotter than a St. Petersburg summer. Let me tell you that. That's what I've heard. But yeah, that would be a very gross. Pretty smelly too, I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, I guess if everything stinks, nothing stinks, right? Ooh, that's my motto, dude. <laughs> Haven't uh, showered for uh, yeah a couple couple weeks now, and uh, I guess everyone else just smells around me. To I be was honest. gonna say, I was gonna say, I think you'd be the only person that stunk in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe uh, I can finally make an income off of this podcast and uh, actually afford. Uh, my water bill, you know, afford your water bill and a nice bar of soap. Yeah, hard to come by these days. I tell you, of course. All right, so yeah, he begins dreaming of his hometown and like this really disgusting act he witnessed as a child. Um, in the streets of his town, there was a peasant with. Uh, this old mare, a really old, weak mare, carrying a wagon. And the peasant keeps on insisting that people should jump in, even though obviously this thing couldn't handle it. But most of the people laugh, but there are some people that actually do get in. And so the mare tries to start moving and he, he can't, obviously. And the peasant just starts like whipping him and some of the, most of the people on the wagon are just start laughing at this whipping, which is really disgusting. And some of the people in the crowd are really disgusted by it to which the peasant is just like, it's my property. I can do whatever I want with it. So he keeps on whipping and uh, there's like six people on the, wagon and it's not making any progress but eventually the mare just like starts to collapse and when the mare can't move anymore the peasant just hops out of the wagon and hits it with a crowbar and it dies after that so it was a pretty brutal scene of like just this guy trying to get the mare to move with all this weight but he obviously can't. And um, a child from the crowd just comes out and cradles the head and he's crying while doing so. Very powerful and disturbing imagery here. And it kind of makes you wonder, other than just kind of being in there to, I don't know if it would show the sign of the times. I don't know if people were always beating their horses to death out in broad daylight back in those days. But uh, kind of makes you wonder, if this is a recurring thing for him, if he has a different attachment to it than just what's on the paper right there or what brings him back to this dream, even at this specific moment, even if, you know, it's the first time he's remembering something like this or whatever. Yeah, I feel like it'd be pretty brutal back then. I mean, especially the crowbar part, that's pretty fucking nasty. Yeah. But there, yeah, there was some people in the crowd, though. I feel like most of the crowd was um, disgusted by the act. But, you know, there's just those select few that um, were cheering it on and mocking the mayor. Right. Yep. So um, 
Raskolnikov, he awakes from this dream and we find out what his crime is. He basically just like wakes up and he's like, I can't kill the pawnbroker, which was uh, his plan this whole time. Plan all along. So yeah, that's when we as the reader find out that that's his plan. Uh, But anyways, he's like, yeah, I can't go through this with this act because that dream was just brutal and basically that's what he's going to do to the pawnbroker. Um, he, so he like walks through a market and he hears a conversation that is coming from the pawnbroker's sister. And he hears that she will be out of the pawnbroker's house around seven. So Raskolnikov, you know, he's on this track of destiny almost. He doesn't want to do this act, but the fact that she says this, that she'll be out of the house during that time, he's like, oh, man, I can't get a chance like this again, you know? Right. Which is kind Once of in a up. lifetime. He just so happened to be walking down at the exact exact moment they're talking about that. So, yeah, he kind of feels like it was it was destiny. Yeah, and this... um just keeps on getting reinforced because earlier it takes us back to six weeks ago when he um, first meets the pawnbroker. And this was back when he was in school. A student actually recommended to go see her, a classmate of his. Um, So he goes to her and is just repulsed by her at first sight he's like "Ooh, look at that uh chicken leg neck on there you know (laughs) oh look at the look at that horrifically skinny neck yeah just disgusting uh but then um once he's done with uh pawning an item he goes into a tavern and he sits down by these two guys and they're just talking shit about the same pawnbroker that Raskolnikov met earlier. They don't like the way she treats her younger stepsister. um, They basically describe her as like a slave to the pawnbroker. And at one point, like she's very angry and nasty, the pawnbroker. And she I quote, bit the finger or bit the sister's finger and it almost had to be amputated. So, yeah, like that's just so nasty of the pawnbroker to do. Cause like this, her sister is like the sweetest lady ever. Did you ever see the, the Sam Raimi movie, Drag Me to Hell? No, no, I didn't. Well, it's about this woman working in a bank and this uh, this old woman comes in and uh, to get a promotion, the main woman needs to put her foot down finally because, you know, she's like, I don't know, uh, the old woman is there to get her house refinanced or she's going to get kicked out or something like that. And they make the old woman out to be very ugly and she's the only person I can picture with this this pawnbroker woman, but I don't think it would be too far off. That's just immediately where my mind goes to hearing about her and her chicken leg of a neck. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll have to watch that movie then. Sure. It's all right. Oh, so, and then they also say that the pawnbroker 
is a parasite and society would be much better off if she was dead so her riches could be distributed to the poor. They think that she is uh, hoarding a lot of the money and it could be spread among the people if she was killed. But they're just, you know, they're just, uh, they're not serious about this. But in the other corner of the tavern, Raskolnikov is actually kind of contemplating it. And it just reinforces his um, plan because he's like, these guys are right. I can't believe uh, they have the same mentality I do of this woman. She should be dead. But these guys are just like totally joking around. Still, what a strange conversation to have in a room with other people in it. Well, I suppose it's better there than to be having between two friends, but I don't often find myself joking about murdering someone, I guess. I, I don't even know if they, um, I don't even think they said like murder, but like, oh, just, just be talking like, about yeah, it'd be a bit better off society. if she just like died. Yeah. Like if she just sure. like, uh, croaked one day, uh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> right. Despite like, because Raskolnikov at this point is just like going back and forth about uh, his plan, but this reinforces that this is his destiny. And when he hears that the sister is going to be out of the room, that just makes the destiny that much stronger for him. And then we transition back to the present day and Raskolnikov has just fallen into a very deep sleep. He is bothered by his housemaid throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, every time she comes in, she's like, oh, you look so sick, dude. You you look so pale and gross. And she's like, how do you not eat? And uh, she gives him some soup and like he has like three spoonfuls, which is like nothing. But he says that Dostoevsky describes him as like almost like a robot, like eating the soup. So it's kind of creepy the way he does it. But eventually he's like in and out of sleep kind of all day until it gets to be 6 p.m. And he realizes that he's going to be late for his big, his big plan. He becomes really focused like he he just like jumps out of bed and he's like oh yeah today's the day you know like this is the big day like it's christmas morning you know yeah <laughs> um time to take care of business yeah it's time to get my present um so but he's like not even really that prepared so he realizes that he can't carry an axe in the street without being uh suspicious that'll almost so look as, that'll, that'll almost look as suspicious as his big weird hat yeah i was just gonna say that like <laughs> that'd be a, as big of an indicator i don't know if as big as the hat yeah but uh to definitely be fair, a big indicator to be fair it's a pretty weird looking hat oh yeah yeah <laughs> he has very yeah he was a hipster you know hipster in saint petersburg of course um or he starts to like make this, I don't even know how to say what it is, but like he makes this noose out of rope and like he hangs it around his neck. No, and no, no, no. He makes no. this little loop. Uh, he, he threads it into the armpit of his coat, I believe. 
oh, okay. so that he can uh he can put the head of or the handle of the axe through it and it hangs freely so he has both of his hands freed up and you know once again isn't looking like a crazy person walking okay. down the street with an axe okay yeah that makes sense um but yeah so like basically this contraption just makes it so he can hide the axe under his coat he also grabs the fake pledge that uh so it seems it's like super late at night like past business hours but like he's grabbing this pledge to make it look like he has business being there so he can get in there because she's like already suspicious he has this little the little piece of wood uh with a some sort of piece of metal to weigh it down and wraps it yeah. up very tightly and we'll we'll see why he a very did all that. complicated knot. Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll see exactly. why he did that once once we get to the old pawnbroker's house or apartment. Yep. But at this point he does not have the axe. He goes down he specifies he knows that's thirteen steps down to the kitchen where he plans to get the axe. The housemaid is in there. So he can't get the axe and he's like, oh God, like I can't do this crime then. And then Pull things down out the of toilet. the corner of his eye, what's up? Pull things down the toilet because he can't, uh, that, you know, oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's having a whole thing planned out and then he's about ready to skip it after the first speed bump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what he can't find the axe. Uh, so he goes back up to the room and this was written and directed by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Uh, no, but <laughs> so out of the corner of his eye, he catches like a glittering shiny metal in this shed outside. And he's like, oh, well, shit, I guess I got to follow through with this murder then. Uh, cause it's an ax in this shed and he picks it up, puts it in his, um, contraption he makes and heads to the pawnbroker. Eventually he gets to the building. He goes up the stairs like a sneaky cat again, and nobody notices him. Um, he approaches the door, knocks, and just like before, he can tell that the pawnbroker is on the other side of the door being extremely cautious. But a minute or two passes by, and soon enough, she does open the door. She doesn't recognize him at all because he is just a total mess. You know, he's about to commit a murder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, like, you thought before it was bad when he was trying to be normal. This is, like, ten times worse. If I may cut in here real quick to something I thought was really cool about uh, about this specific part of the book is I remember reading it, and it seems really obvious but it's kind of funny that even in the 1860s, people were still writing cliffhangers because I remember the chapter ending with him on the other side of the door, and then it like ends the second he hears the lock uh, unlock oh, from yeah. the other side, you know? So they were still yeah. obviously building, you know, suspense, suspense and tension and stuff like that. It's kind of funny because I'm sure that that's literally like always been rule one for writing a book like this but even looking back you know people are still doing it and you'll see it in a hundred movies a year today or tv shows you know they leave you off on cliffhangers 
Oh, for sure. And like, I wanted to mention this earlier, but, um, this book is definitely <laughs> worth the read. I wish we mentioned that earlier, but yeah, like just reading through this, uh, the suspense is really good. You're on pins and needles. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Yeah. She notices how like pale and like this whole time he's just shaking and he's like, uh, you can't help looking pale if you have nothing to eat, which is like just so creepy to me. Like he could barely say those words when he said it. Mm-hmm. But despite her suspicion, <laughs> Raskolnikov, <laughs> yeah, she's like, well, that was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but despite her suspicion, Raskolnikov is still determined to come in and, you know, execute his big plan. Yep. She lets him in and she takes the pledge. And as we mentioned earlier, he tied it with a very complicated knot so she would be distracted for some time. She starts untying the knot. And as she's doing this, he starts to untie the axe he has under his coat. He swings the axe directly on top of her head. As she falls to the floor, Raskolnikov's doubts disappear and he continues with his plan. Like he's just 100% committed and does not hesitate at this point. He takes her purse and her keys and heads to the strong box where he finds a few items once he unlocks the box. However, this gets cut short when he starts to hear footsteps in the other room. You can just kind of picture the dude is already, he doesn't already have the best mental state, but he's just done something that he probably didn't even know he was going to be able to do until it happened. And he's just scrambling around this place. It's late at night and he thought he had everything planned out, but you know, we might come, we might come to find out that he might not be as smart as he thinks he is. No, even though he's going through the motions, uh, more confidently, he's definitely still a mess. I mean, he woke up late. He, you know, got all of his tools ready within the time he woke up too. So like, yeah, he's definitely a mess. Mm-hmm. But who do you think's in the door or in the other room? I, I mean, judging by how they talk about this woman, I can't imagine she has many many visitors so it can be none other than her her sister who was supposed to be out all day yeah and he left the fucking door open yeah he so she just like walks into the crime scene yep and he killed her right there in the I, I I think that it's written to be like a big room and then a room off to the side and he just you know the woman walks in and her old sister is just sitting right on the i don't know living room or lounge floor with a you know with an axe mark in her head yes yep um so like it is her sister and she sees the crime scene and she is just paralyzed with fear uh and as she's paralyzed raskolnikov heads towards her and she backs into a corner like just obviously still shocked 
and he kills her with a single blow. And I feel so bad for her because like, we didn't mention it too much earlier, but like she was described as kind of, she's super nice. Like she's a really nice lady, but like she wasn't all there mentally, but in her, so she has been living with her sister this whole time. Yep. And sister is not yeah, a very, her life very is nice just, woman. Oh yeah. Try to bite off her finger. So yeah, she just had like a very unfortunate life and ended on, in a very unfortunate way. And of course, you know, he's only got the one murder planned and I, I suppose he can't think of much else to do other than just, yeah, you still got the, still got the ax on him. So yeah, he takes her down in the corner. I believe. Yeah. I believe. Uh, my memory is a little fuzzy. It's been a it's been a bit since I read this, but he brings the blunt side down on the palm broker's head and the sharp side down on the sisters or vice versa. I always thought that that was a strange little bit of detail. But once again, you know, it's kind of hard to do uh, chapters like these justice in just a couple of senses, but there's so much detail to everything going on, and it really, it's a good read. Yeah, this... Reading this was just, and the pace that it happens too, like this happens instantly. Well, not instantly, but you know, within the first 20 to 30 pages of the book. So it just hits you very fast. But so he realizes that if he stays any longer, he's probably going to commit some more crimes because he's very messy at this point. He cleans his axe very quickly and that's when he realizes that he left the door open. So God. his attention to detail is very bad. Um, but he starts to hear two men coming up to the room. So he locks the door. And just like the pawnbroker did earlier from inside, he leans up against the door. And here's <laughs> this man climbing the stairs along with uh, this other guy. And he's like... Re has really heavy footsteps and Raskolnikov after committing a crime he's like oh he must be a big fat guy <laughs> um, so he has that thought and he is also joined by another younger man this fat guy is and <laughs> they both want to pawn some items at like late at night bad timing and yeah honestly and after knocking and shaking the door for some time, they realize that something's wrong and like the door is locked from the inside. So they're like, well, they couldn't have left the room. There's something wrong here. And the younger man says, this is a quote, I'm studying the law, you see. It's evident there's something wrong here. <laughs> and they go down the stairs to get help. If we can jump back for just a second here, uh, I don't think we mentioned what he had taken from the older woman's room. Yeah, he took a few items uh, from that box. Sorry, just, uh, yeah, sorry about that. The younger man says, I'm studying the law, you see. It's evident there's something wrong here. Yeah, so like, he put two and two together really well. Uh, and he's studying the law, so he's very smart. Yep. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they go down the stairs to get help. Raskolnikov slips out of the room and goes down the stairs. He hears that the two men are coming back up. So he hides in an empty room 
and waits until they have passed and go past him. And he sneaks out of the room and exits the building unnoticed. He becomes very delirious as he makes his journey back to his room. He takes a different path home, which at this point, you know, he's pretty delirious. So I'm surprised he even does that to cover up his tracks. Mm -hmm. And so the axe is cleaned off. He returns it to the shed. He enters his room and crashes on his sofa where he can't even sleep or think like the Dostoevsky just describes him as like total emptiness while he's lying on this uh, bed and almost, almost like catatonic. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super crazy. The way he can describe the psychology of Raskolnikov. It's very interesting. But yeah, that's where part one ends. Yeah, mission complete for Raskolnikov. He's going to go out and party, I think, after this. We'll see. You'll have to stay tuned for part two. Now, did you have any any thoughts on the first? Because the book is sectioned off into a handful of parts, and that is where where the first part ends. Yes. Um, first thoughts... Like, honestly, the first part of this book was just, I couldn't believe how, like I said earlier, ahead of time, Dostoevsky was able to um, get into the psychology of somebody like Raskolnikov. I thought that was super interesting, like from the way he just wanders in the streets to his thoughts when he's about to commit the crime and the crime scene itself. This is all written very well with suspense yeah and he has that dream and everything like that he's kind of just traipsing around going from point a to point b he loves sleeping uh oh yeah which is good you know you got to get your full night's rest before you go off and murder an old woman and her sister and make away with sure make away with uh, a few pond items from other people yeah, and the way it's described, like, he doesn't even take that many pond items from the room. Like, he takes a couple. So, like, yeah, he was just, like, a total mess trying to um, work out those, like, details of the crime. Bit of a botch job. And, of course, you know, uh, if I've ever described this book to anyone, because the first thing I was told was that it's about a dude axe murdering someone, but... Uh, it would be really nice to be able to read this book without knowing about that right away, even though that may potentially be the hook for a lot of people you describe it to. Or, you know, oh, yeah. I guess it technically Yeah, I had little enough. to no knowledge when uh, I first picked up this book, and I'm very glad I didn't. Good stuff. It's kind of like, for some people, like, I, if I feel like a lot of people are familiar with this, but I feel like it's very similar to how... You're going to know that Darth Vader is going to be Luke's father in Star Wars. Oh, sure. And that's just like a known fact. And like, this is definitely something that's just pretty well known with that book. But like, I just dove into this book with uh, no prior knowledge, really, which was, you know, very hard to do. Uh, Did you have any any other uh, closing closing thoughts? Not that I can think of right now. How about you? Uh, I just wanted to say, 
this is probably something that should have been said at the beginning, but if there is anyone listening right now, um, you know, there with every every new thing comes growing pains. We recorded for 20 minutes the other day just to try to kind of get a feel for this thing, but we realized that if you're still listening up to this point, you know, uh, everything takes a little time to adjust and future episodes going forward will obviously go a little smoother and we'll have our game down a little better. You know, um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I'll always, I'll, I'll listen to a podcast and there's always a big difference between the first handful of episodes and, you know, once they start hitting bigger numbers. And I just, I thought that was something important to say because, uh, I don't know, you know, like I said, we're both very fresh at this and we're just trying to trying to have a good time and do a little book talk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, We're going to keep on going on with this. And as long as we're doing it, I feel like it'll get it'll definitely get better. It'll just it'll get smoother. uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, the quality is already very good but it's just gonna have to take some fine tuning see that's what i was just gonna say too because something can start off at a 10 out of 10 but you know you've seen you've seen your favorite movie get one-upped by the same director and just picture that about how two two dudes are talking about an old book and you know this was the entire first section of the book and i really wish that i could remember how many i think it's split into four or five parts but uh you know six uh, six parts and you know there'll be different books in the future we'll be reading through and maybe the subject matter will be a little lighter and airier to talk about i know there were a lot of parts when i could have stepped in but you know once again it's all this is all starting off as a labor of love yeah we're just here to have fun so hopefully Nobody would be taking anything. Nobody would be taking anything too terribly serious. And if they would be interested in reading along with the book or maybe they've read it before, you know, just hanging out for the ride. Yeah. And hopefully you guys have uh, had fun listening. We appreciate all of our listeners out there. (laughs) If there are any. um, Hi, mom. Hi, mom. Yeah, it's gonna start with our family. Uh, we're gonna put our dog on um, this. Yeah, we're gonna... is that a is that a good point to sign off or? Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we honestly hope you enjoyed it, and hopefully it helps you guys get through some of the hard times some of you might be experiencing. So, hopefully, it's done that. I am your host. Cole Lang. And I am your other host, uh, Lucas. And I just, uh, I wanted to say that uh, uh, this was, this was, this was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Um, And thank you guys so much for listening to the first, the inaugural episode of the Bad Apple Book Club. Take it easy, guys. Signing off.